Thanks, guys. Wonderful time of worship. So usually around this sort of time of year, we kind of do a bit of a, a visionary preach, uh, reminding us, really, of who we've been called to be as the people of God, but also kind of having a look ahead at what, we've been, what we feel we've been called to, particularly as River Church here in the borough of Sutton. And I was looking at my notes um, from this time last year, and we looked at uh, Romans chapter 12, particularly verse 12, which, as you'll all remember because it was only a year ago, it says, be joyful in hope. So glad Dave spoke about us being a people of hope because we know a God of hope, not a hopeful God, but a God of hope. Goes on, being patient in affliction, being faithful in prayer. And you know, at that time, we had no idea of what we would have to go through as a local church, certainly the different trials and challenges and even grief that we would face, as well as the breakthroughs and the wonderful testimonies of God's continued faithfulness, even through the challenges. And so that call to be patient, even in affliction, to be faithful in prayer, even when things are not going as we would have certainly liked, it's so important for us to continue to hold on to that. God knows. He knew what we would have to face in those last 12 months. He knows what we're going to go through in the next 12 months. He is a faithful God. And we can be joyful in hope. We sang a lot about hope this morning, didn't we? We can be joyful in hope because our hope is not dependent on our circumstances. It's dependent on the faithfulness of our God. And it's a hope. It's this, this hallmark. It's a distinction of the people of God particularly in a hopeless world. We have a clear distinction that marks us out. We know a hope that goes beyond the grave. We know a hope that's independent of our circumstances. And so as I was thinking and praying about the next 12 months, this new academic year, I really felt God want to remind us of other things that set us apart, other distinctives of being the people of God, the church of God, to help us to to live out this calling to be God's people here in the borough of Sutton, but also beyond. And to do that, we're going to read a fairly big chunk of Ephesians chapter 4. If you've got your Bibles, do turn to it. Uh, It'll come up on the screen, hopefully. There we go. Going to read from verse 1. It's good to read chunks of Scripture, isn't it? It's the Word of God. Always accomplishes that which He desires. So this is Paul writing as a prisoner to a church that he knew so well, spent three years with them. He loved the people there. He knew them well. He says this, as a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, 
Just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each of us, grace has been given as Christ has apportioned it. Jumping to verse 11, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we'll no longer be tossed about like infants, back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. For from him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. I think you could probably sum this whole passage up by saying that Paul is describing here a united, loving family. One of the distinctives that we have been called to as the children of God, as River Church, is to be a family. We may no longer have family in our name. We used to be called Sutton Family Church, for those who don't know. But at our heart is the call to be family. We are a place to belong, not just an event to attend. It's so important we understand that. We're not simply an organization or a business. We are first and foremost a family. With Jesus as our head, one body, one spirit, just as we were called to one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. There's a sense of deep unity. There's a sense of deep community. When you received the gift of God's salvation through the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ on the cross, you were transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, you were saved to be in community. Because God is community. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is a community. And you were saved to be in community with Him and with His people, with the church. We were saved into a family, a place to belong to be part of this body with Christ at the head. From him, the whole body is joined and held together. And I really felt God stirring, wanting to stir us up again to just keep hold of the truth that we are called to be a family. We are called to unity and to community because, you know, as Dave said the other day, we are increasingly living in an isolated and individualistic society. Loneliness is such a massive issue in so many people's lives. Huge issue. We live in an era where it has never been easier to communicate with different people. You can be digitally connected to hundreds of people and still feel 
utterly alone and utterly unknown. It's an epidemic. You know, there's a very recent survey, UK survey, just in the last, I think it was just at the end of last year, that says one in eight adults in the UK say they have no close friends. It probably is even higher than that. No close friends, no one that they can be totally themselves with, no one they can be totally accountable to, no one who really knows them. And you know what? This is an area that the church can have a huge impact with. But to do that, it means that we have to model true community. We, we have to die to ourselves, die to a self-centered way of living, choosing to prefer one another, choosing to value, truly value one another, choosing to forgive one another, choosing to, 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 to die to our right to take offense. So easy to get offended. Just go on Twitter. It's one of the things I am connected to. I don't do Facebook, but I do Twitter. To be honest, it's just full of people who take offense. So easy, isn't it, behind a keyboard? But we can die, and we need to die, to our right to take offense, choosing to prefer one another, choosing to give our best for one another. It calls for us to be vulnerable with one another. There's a cost there. It calls for us to trust one another. It's said that a team is not a bunch of people who work together. A team is a bunch of people who trust one another. That's what a real team is. First two we just read out. We need to be completely humble and gentle and patient, bearing with one another in love. It's a very simple message, but it takes us every day to make that decision. I'm going to die to my own natural self-centered living and I'm going to live for community. I'm going to live for my brothers and sisters. And um, interestingly, last week, three different people who knew I was kind of wanting to speak on, on this kind of theme said, you've got to listen to Mike Pilavacci's recent talk. He, uh, he did it, I think it's the Naturally Supernatural conference and, um, and so I did, and, and it was a preach called, We, we Are Called to Be Family and Not a Business. And, and it, I, I was so encouraged. God is speaking this word right across his church. It is such a vital word. And to be honest, I could have probably just played Mike's preach, and it probably would have been far better and far funnier. But you've got me instead. And also, he spoke for one hour, 15 minutes, and... Um, I've got about 25 left. So, but one thing Mike said, I mean, I'll send a link to it if you're interested, because it is so good. He said that too often the church has adopted the, our culture's obsession with self. We've brought it into our cult, church culture. So it's all about my ministry, my anointing, my gifting, my calling. And, and he said, when God speaks about his people, it's always in the context of community. It's not I and me, it's us and we. And, and you can see how easy it is for this individualistic uh, kind of consumer culture to creep into the church. And yet we're called to family. We're called to community. In fact, he, he said, I haven't counted this myself, but the church is described in familial terms, you know, brothers, sisters, mums and dads, 277 times in Paul's letters alone. It is the most common way to describe the people of God. 
We're a family, a loving family, called to love one another as Christ has loved us. And so this coming year, academic year, I'd really love us to be intentional, to really focus on how we can continue to build true community here in this building, you know, being creative in the way we can build community using this facility that God's given us, but also in our homes, opening up our homes. One very practical way we can build community is really connecting with a small group, with our life group system. Because that is, you know, it's great to come here on a Sunday morning. It's really hard to, to kind of model community and doing life together on a Sunday morning. Can I challenge you, if you're not plugged into a life group or a small group, please can I encourage you to. It will really help build that sense of community. And can I encourage you to eat together? Yeah, families eat together, don't they? Can I encourage you? As often as you can, I love food, you might tell. Encourage you, let's eat together. One thing we're looking at at the moment as well is, is to develop a, a hospitality catering team so we can put on more lunches here. We've now got the facility in the coffee shop where we can produce good meals and, and reheat meals as well. And I'd love us to eat more regularly together as a church family as well as in smaller groups as well. If you're interested, if you've got the gift of hospitality, if you've loved cooking and whatever, please let me know because we'd love to put a team together as well just to be able to, to kind of create a sense of a deepening sense of community, particularly for those people who are on the sidelines, for those people who perhaps struggle to feel that they fit in. It's in the little things, isn't it? When we go out, have a think. Who else can I invite? If you're going to a cinema, who else would appreciate coming along with us? Just have a little bit of thought. Be intentional about community. You know, I, I love looking back at the early church and in Acts 2, it, it says some particular things that marked the early church out from the rest of culture. In Acts 2, verse 42, it says they were distinct by the way they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to prayer, and to the breaking of bread. But also, and perhaps this is sometimes overlooked, they devoted themselves to fellowshipping with one another. They devoted themselves to community, literally to partnership, koinonia. It's that word for fellowship. They devoted themselves to being a family. And you might say, well, that's all very well. Their culture was all kind of, was all based around community. Let's not forget that we're talking about a group of over 3,000 people at this point. You know, just the day of Pentecost, 3,000 were added to their number, yet they were still able to model family says there was no, not one needy person among them, sharing everything, sharing their lives. You know, and there's a challenge there, isn't there? Even as we grow, that actually we don't have to lose a sense of family, a sense of being together. I find it really challenging. Can I truly say I am devoted to community? I mean, I, I'm quite an introvert. I love being around people, yes, but actually, 
I can feel a bit drained after a while, and I need to go away and just be with myself and with my family. I need those times to withdraw. And if I'm not careful, I can get a little isolated. So I need to, I know I need to be intentional about being devoted to community. And perhaps I'm not the only one. But we need to be intentional, devoted to community, devoted to sharing our lives with others. We've just done a series on being countercultural. This is seriously countercultural. I was reading a report about um, particularly the, those in the renting um, community. Those, you know, house prices have just become stupid, haven't they? More and more people are renting. And there was a report saying how this is increasing people's feeling of isolation. It was a staggering, I can't remember the statistics now, a staggering number of people who rent say they don't trust their neighbours, they don't have anyone they can talk to, they don't feel connected to their community, they just, it's it's a roof over their head. It's really, really sad. And the church is called to model something beautiful. True family, true community, but it calls for us to be intentional. Because we're a family and not a business, this is reflected in the way we serve one another, in the way we lead one another. You know, we're not led by CEOs with line managers that follow a hire and fire them kind of model. We're a family. You know, we're led by spiritual mums and dads. That's what it's all about. We're led by people with different giftings. You know, it's not about the paid person doing all the work while everyone critiques. No, in a family, everyone gets stuck in. Our kids are finding that out. <laughs> we're, uh, we're kind of particularly during the holidays. Until they are allowed to go on their tablets, screens, TV, whatever, they know, particularly on a Saturday morning, they've got to strip their beds and they've got to empty the dishwasher. Why? Because they're part of a family. It's what we do. We all get stuck in. And, you know, as they grow up and as they kind of can do more, they're going to do more. Because we all help. We all get stuck in. And that's what church is all alike. That's what we're all about. I mentioned the other Sunday about raising uh, spiritual sons and daughters. We need to raise spiritual mums and dads to do that. And I know we've got some amazing mums and dads in the church. People, and I'm not talking about mature in age. I'm talking just mature in their faith. People of every age. Encouraging others. Nurturing others. Which takes us to our second distinction. We're a united, loving family, but we're also a nurturing family. We're a place to belong, but we're also a place for people to grow. And, and, you know, that's what I would really love to see and encourage more. That it's not just a place where people feel they belong, but a place where people can feel they are being stretched and nurtured, where their roots can grow deep. Whatever their experience, whatever their background, they know this is a place I can grow. This is a place where I can be equipped to to follow God's call on my life, to be part of this, to be part of this mission in seeing God's glory revealed to the whole earth. So we just read, Christ gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Why? To equip the people for works of service so that the body of Christ, the church, this family can be built up and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That we won't be no longer infants tossed about back and forth by different teaching. Grow in stature, grow in maturity. We all have different gifts. And guess what? They're not for us. 
They're not for ourselves, but for building up the church, for equipping, for growing spiritual infants into mighty men and women of God. It's about spiritual mums and dads raising spiritual sons and daughters. It's that sense of family. Calls for men and women, you know, with teaching gifts, prophetic gifts, pastoral gifts. But Ephesians 4 is not an exhaustive list. You know, you have... You may have the gift of encouragement. Use that gift of encouragement. There have been people in my life who have been the most amazing encouragers. You might have the gift of just coming alongside people and spotting something in them and saying, do you know what? You are amazing at that. You can really, I believe you can really grow in that area. I've had people in my life who have done that with me. I've doubted what they've seen. But through their encouragement, It's enabled me to grow. And there are people in this room with the gift of encouragement. Can I encourage you to use that gift? You may have the gift of hospitality. You know how to create a, a safe, welcoming space. Can I encourage you? Use that. Use that gift. People need to feel safe. People need to feel welcome. There are people in this room who have got an amazing gift with that, I know. You know, you might have the gift of administration. It's definitely a gift I haven't got. But you can help people get their lives in order. (laughs) Come alongside and say, do you know what? I can help you with that. I can help you sort that mess out. There's so many different gifts. But with all of these gifts, it has to be done in the context of a nurturing loving environments where people know that they are accepted, that they are loved, that they are championed, that they are valued. It's in that environment that people grow, that people grow. And you know what? The thing is, our own giftings will grow too as we focus on others. It stops us becoming self-centered and and narrow-minded. Just want to flag up those who lead our, our kids' church those who help with the the kids' church and with the youth as well, what a vital role they play. And it's a sacrificial role as well. They miss out on a lot of Sunday services. They miss out on evenings as they prepare. But what a vital role they are doing, literally providing a nurturing space for the next generation to become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. But you know what? Every single one of us, can have people that we are investing our lives into, people that we are inputting into, people that we are championing. Whatever stage of life you're at, whatever stage in your walk with God you're at, do you have people that you are inputting into as well as receiving input from others? Because spiritual sons and daughters produce other spiritual sons and daughters. It's just that sense of being together. It's like seeing slightly bigger kids taking the hand of slightly younger kids, you know, and slightly older kids. You know, it it goes, it's just a beautiful picture of family. Each one of us can have people that we are investing our lives into. We're equipped to equip others. And, you know, this blessing, this calling, this anointing, whatever you want to call it, it doesn't stop at you. It's for works of service for the church to be built up. Healthy families are wonderfully safe 
places to encourage. Safe places for people to make mistakes sometimes. Safe places for people to be challenged from time to time. You know, we're encouraged in verse 15 to speak the truth in love. It's so important we get both those. You know, it's unloving not to speak the truth. But if we speak the truth without love, it can be really destructive. We speak the truth in love because we want people to grow. Later this academic year, we're wanting to launch a couple of discipleship programs, really to help people put healthy habits and foundations in their lives. Just keep, a, keep an eye out for those. But all of this has to be done in the context of community, if there's going to be any lasting growth. It's all within the context of community. We're called to be a loving family. We're called to be a nurturing family because that is where real power lies, which takes us to our third distinctive. As a church, we are no ordinary family. We're a supernatural family. We are a spirit-filled family. You know, when we read, go back to the Acts 2, the early church, what was the result of their devotion to one another? It says in verse 43 of Acts 2, a sense of awe came over them and many signs and wonders were performed. In that beautiful picture of devotion and unity and love, there was real power. There was real power there. As Dave Holden said last week, we, we can't hope to be a people of hope without the Holy Spirit. And the same is true here. We can only model true, loving family because we are united by the Holy Spirit through the bond of peace. It's the Holy Spirit that draws us together. Earlier in Ephesians 2, 22, it says, In Him we are being built together to become a dwelling place where God lives by His Spirit. We are a people of the Spirit. We are called to be Spirit-filled Spirit-empowered, supernatural, dwelling place of God by His Spirit. And that is a real distinctive. We're a people of love. We're a people of power. And you know what? That because of that, that's why we can offer real hope to those who are hurting. That's why we can offer real healing to the broken. We can offer a supernatural peace to those who are in turmoil. And we can offer true community to those who are lonely because God is with us. As Mike was saying, I think he started this meeting off, he is Emmanuel. He's God with us in the midst of his family. And you know, as God's people, we need to understand that we carry his presence. We carry his anointing, whether we are gathered or whether we are dispersed throughout the week. We still carry that same anointing. We are a people who live in two realms at the same time, the physical and the spiritual. And as a united family, we can have a massive impact in both those realms. Because where there's unity, where there's love, God commands a blessing. God commands a blessing. Where there's division or judgmental attitudes or just simply a kind of an individualistic spirit, we limit the spirit of God. Yet when, when we have a place where people feel they truly belong, where we know people around us are committed to us, they've got our back. They know us and they still love us. They know our mistakes 
They still champion us. You know, that makes, I don't know about you, that makes me want to open up more to the Holy Spirit. When I know I'm in a safe, nurturing environment, I myself will open up far more to the Holy Spirit and receive healing, but also for the Holy Spirit to then flow out of me into my own sphere of influence. And as a leadership team, we really want to see this church grow in their understanding and their experience of being a supernatural people of God, a supernatural family. As Rob mentioned, the Living Free course that we're launching in, in, a, in a month's time, it's really aimed at helping us walk increasingly in the freedom that Jesus has won for us, but also for us to grow in confidence in our authority and in the power that is ours in Christ. Along with this, we're going to be starting a preaching series on the Holy Spirit as well to go hand in hand with this so that we grow in, in this authority, so that we grow in the power that is ours in Christ. And again, it's not just for our individual benefits or even our church's benefit, although it will benefit both, but it's for the benefit of those out there. It's for the benefit of our community the benefit of the world. Someone once said that the Holy Spirit comes to the church en route to the world. God sends his Holy Spirit not to stop with us. He gives it to the church en route to the world. His Holy Spirit, the very presence of God, manifests power and love of his amazing Holy Spirit. You know, it's the whole picture of the river of God. You know, many of us will know why we changed our name to be River Church. It's all about the, the river of God. You remember that picture of the river flowing through the back doors, filling this place with his presence, with his healing, with his hope. And then the front doors bursting forth and this river running out into our community. This is what it's all about. God gives us his spirit to equip us to reach the world. Not primarily to make Sundays a little bit more lively. You know, he gave his Holy Spirit so that we would be bold in our witness. He gave his Holy Spirit so that we could model true community. So that when we profess truth, people will be able to see it in the way we live our lives. That people will be able to see that what we profess, actually that's true. Look at the way they love one another. We need the Holy Spirit He's the one who clothes us in power. He is the spirit of truth that guides us in all truth. He's the spirit of wisdom that will help us navigate this increasingly crazy world. He's the spirit of peace that will help us combat strife and division. He's the spirit that testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Through the Holy Spirit, we we receive God's love into our hearts. He's the spirit of life who raised Jesus from the dead. The same spirit lives in us. And as a, as a family, whether gathered or dispersed throughout the week, we are a people of the spirit and we carry his spirit with us wherever we go. It's kind of linked with that third distinctive the fourth one is that we are a family on mission. We're a family on a great adventure. Every one of us, every one of us are equipped for works 
of service, wherever God has placed us. And kind of as an aside, can we just agree, I've used this myself too many times, and I'd just like us to stop using this term of full-time ministry, meaning the person who is paid to work full-time for the church. Because guess what? When you surrender your life to Jesus, you are in full-time ministry. You are in full-time service. Wherever God has called you, you are in full-time ministry. Not just someone getting paid to work in the church. Each one of us, equipped for works of service. Whether that's in our offices or schools, whether that's in our homes or places of work, whether you're an IT consultant, or work for the homeless, or a designer, or a teacher, or a nanny, or a gardener, or whether or not you're in paid employment or not, you have a sphere of influence. Whatever you do, if you're working for the glory of God, you are being a representative of his family, this supernatural family. You're his ambassador. You are living a life worthy of the calling you've received. And that is even if you feel like you're in a dead-end job. If you're working for God's glory, you are living a life worthy of the calling you have received. You might say, well, I feel like I'm in a stage in life where I'm not really able to give out. I'm not really able to serve. I'm just needing to receive. And and I understand there are different seasons in life. But what I would say is even in our brokenness, even when we are going through trials and very real challenges, God is a redeeming God, and he, I've seen it time and time again, how he can use even our struggles to help people who are going through exactly the same thing. Keep an eye open for how we can use what God has given us for works of service, whether we're gathered here on a Sunday or whether we're out Monday to Friday throughout the week. You're able to bring his kingdom culture into every sphere of life. I was reading Isaiah 61 this week, and it's that well-known passage that Jesus read out when he was announcing his public ministry, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. It just struck me again of the implication of what we carry when we go about our daily life. Think about this, okay? I'm going to read some of this out. Think about the implication of your week. Think about what you've got coming on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Think about the weeks and months to come as we get into this new academic year. Think about the different situations and the different challenges that you'll be facing. Might be new jobs, might be new terms, new class if you're a teacher. Have a think about this because the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon you. You bring his presence into every situation even the darkest of places. Because the Spirit of the Lord has anointed you to proclaim good news to the poor, you can bring justice into places where you see injustice. But that's socially, financially, emotionally, physically. Because you have been sent to bind up the brokenhearted and recover your sight for the blind, you can bring his healing and wholeness to people who are broken, who are sick, because you have been sent 
to proclaim freedom for the captives. We've been singing about it this morning. You can bring God's deliverance and salvation. You can be a channel for that because you have been called to proclaim the year of God's favor, his grace. You can bring his peace where there's anxiety and shame. You can bring his comfort for those who are mourning, for those who are in pain. You can bring joy and hope, as we've been talking about, to those who are struggling, who've got a spirit of despair. This is the impact the family of God has. And you know what? As we do that to different people, whoever God brings across your path, the Holy Spirit draws people to Jesus. He also draws them into community and into his family, into a loving family where they can truly belong, into a nurturing family where they can really grow, into a supernatural family where they can experience the power and presence of God for themselves and then walk and exercise in their own authority that they have in Christ. And they're joining a missional family because they join the adventure. They too can transform their world. I, for one, am really, really grateful I'm part of this family, this expression of God's family here in Sutton. I'm so grateful God has brought us here. I'm grateful for every single brother and sister in Christ. It's messy at times, isn't it? But what family isn't? That we are joined together, Jesus at the head, spirit of his son uniting us. Can I just encourage us? Let's really live this academic year intentionally building that. Amen? Amen.